Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Malvern Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're continuing on in our sermon series called One Year From Now. And what we're trying to do throughout the series is help you to become the person you want to be spiritually one year from now. And all of us as followers of Jesus have the same goal. All of us want to become more like Jesus. So that's what we're focusing on throughout the series. But we need to remember that Jesus isn't always who we expect him to be. So let's keep our hearts, our minds, and our ears open as we get into this episode sermon. So during my senior year of college, I took a class called Art Appreciation. And for those of you that don't know, Art Appreciation is an introductory class. Um, it's usually freshman take. So why did I take Art Appreciation during my senior year of college? Well, I took it because I had already earned all of my undergraduate courses that I had to do to get my degree in religion and my minor in history. But I still needed to earn a couple of more hours so that I could actually get my bachelor's degree. So I decided to take a pretty easy class, which was art appreciation. Now, if you ever take art appreciation at any college or university that offers it, they typically describe this course as an introduction to the visual arts. So in this course, you're going to be introduced to the various mediums and techniques that artists use to create visual arts. You're going to learn a little bit about the history of art, and you're going to have the opportunity to study some of the most famous works of art that were ever created. So during this semester, I got to learn about the High Renaissance period when Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. I got to learn about expressionism, where artists like Edward Munch tried to convey emotions in works of, works of art like screen. I learned about um, surrealism and tried to figure out what it was that Salvador Dali was trying to convey in his piece of art, The Persistence of Memory, which is the one where it looks like clocks are melting. Um, weird. Uh, I even got to learn a little bit about pop art, and all these years later, I'm still trying to figure out how Andy Warhol could paint a bunch of Campbell soup pans and people would consider it to be a masterpiece. But there was one movement of art in particular that I learned about that semester that drew me in more than anything else. And this movement of art was actually pioneered by, uh, by artists like George Seurat and Paul Sadek, and this form of artists called Hoyleism. Um, now, my art appreciation professor would probably want me to point out to you that Hoyleism actually is an offshoot of another movement of art uh, called Impressionism. But I've already geeked out enough about art for one day because some of y'all are like, I don't know what any of those paintings were that he was talking about. So instead of digging deeper into that history, that period in art history, let me just explain to you what pointillism is. Now, in pointillism, what artists do is that they, they, they put different points onto a canvas, different dots of color, and they arrange these points in a pattern to form a larger image. So what this means is that if you're standing too close to a pointless painting, all you see are those little dots of color, and you can't really see the larger image. But if you take a few steps back from that painting, you're able to see the bigger image that the artist is trying to convey. Now, the most famous example of pointillism is probably a painting by George Seurat that's called The Sunday Afternoon on the Grand, on the Grand Jeté. So in this, if you stand too close to this painting, all you're going to see is an image that looks like the one we're going to put up on the screen for you. Now that image doesn't look like much of anything. That's just a bunch of blue and green dots that are on the screen. 
But if you were to step back a little bit from it and take another look at the painting, you would see something that looks like this. Now, that's a recognizable image, and those blue and green dots that you saw are part of the body of water that all of the people are looking at inside the image. So, why don't I start this sermon by talking about pointillism and this medium of creating art? Well, as we enter into the new year here at Melbourne Heights, we challenge you to do so. We challenge you to read one chapter a day from the book of Matthew, every single day during the month of January. And we challenge you to do this for a reason. We, as followers of Jesus, we have a goal. We have something that we want to achieve and accomplish. And what we want to do is that we want to become more like Jesus. So as we enter into this new year of Albert Heights, that's what we're trying to do. We want to help you be more like Jesus one year from now. We want to help you to be more like Jesus one year from now. But in order to become more like Jesus, you have to know who Jesus is. So we challenge you to read a chapter a day from the book of Matthew, which is a biography of Jesus, to help you learn more about who Jesus is. But we can sometimes have the same problem when we're reading the book of Matthew or any other book in the Bible that people have when they're looking at a pointillist painting. What I mean is that we can get so caught up in the small details that we miss the bigger picture. We get so caught up in the small details that we miss the bigger picture. Now, when you're looking at a pointless painting, that's really easy to do. You get too close to it, and all you can see are those little dots of color, and that's all you can focus on. But the same thing happens to us when we're reading the Bible. Because what we'll do is we'll focus on one verse of Scripture. Or we'll focus on a single sentence in Scripture. Or we'll focus on a single word. And we'll miss the bigger story that the author's trying to convey to us. And i got to tell you, that was really easy to do in one of the chapters that we challenge you to read this past week. This past week, we challenge you to read Matthew chapter 8. That was one of the chapters that you should have read this week. And in Matthew chapter 8, there are a bunch of different stories about miracles that Jesus performs. And every one of those stories are filled with incredible details that can draw our attention in. But what I want to do today is to take a closer look at a few of the miracles that Jesus performs in Matthew chapter 8, but also to help you take a step back so that you can see the larger picture that Matthew is trying to paint for us to help us understand who Jesus is. So if you've got a Bible close by, let me encourage you to go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Now, we're going to be looking at three different miracles that Jesus performs in Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to start with the very first one that we find. So the first miracle that we read about takes place in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So this is what Matthew writes. He says, Now when Jesus had come down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with a skin disease came. He kneeled before him and he said, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I do want to become clean. Instantly, his skin disease was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, Don't say anything to anyone. Instead, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. This will be a testimony to them. That's a pretty amazing story, right? I mean, in this story, Jesus heals a person who has skin disease. And there are a lot of incredible details inside of the story 
that you can focus on when you're reading it. Like you can focus on the way that this man with the skin disease approaches Jesus. And Matthew tells us that he falls down on his knees before him. He bows down before Jesus, and he does that as a way of humbling himself before God. Or you can focus on the faith that this man has in Jesus when he tells him, Jesus, I know you can heal me if you want to. Or you can even focus on the part where Jesus tells him about going and offering a gift of the temple to the priest that Moses commanded and trying to figure out exactly what that gift is. But this story is filled with a lot of incredible details that can draw you in. But all of these details are just small little dots in the bigger picture of who Jesus is. Same thing is true with the next miracle story that we're going to read. This one takes place in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. So let's take a look at these verses together. Here's what Matthew tells us this time. Matthew writes, When Jesus went to Capernaum, a centurion approached, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is fly upon his back at home, paralyzed, and his suffering is awful. Jesus responded, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and the servant does it. When Jesus heard this, he was impressed. And he said to the people following him, I say to you with all seriousness that even in Israel I haven't found faith like this. I say to you that there are many who will come from east and west and sit down to eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done for you just as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. So again, this is an amazing story. In this story, Jesus heals a soldier's servant. And there's so many little details inside of this story that we could focus in on. Like we could focus in on who this soldier comes and asks Jesus to heal. Because who he asks Jesus to heal is kind of weird. The soldier doesn't ask Jesus to heal him, the soldier. The soldier doesn't ask Jesus to heal a family member or even a friend. He asks Jesus to heal one of his servants. Or we can focus in on the faith that the soldier has in Jesus when he tells Jesus that he knows he can heal his servant without ever even coming to see the servant for himself. We can focus in on Jesus' readiness and willingness to do whatever it is that the soldier seems to ask him to do. So again, this story is filled with incredible details. But all of these details are just small little dots in the bigger picture of who Jesus is. And the same thing is true with the last miracle that we're going to look at that Jesus performs in Matthew 8. This passage we find in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. So let's take a look at what Jesus says here. Here, Matthew writes and tells us, Jesus went home with Peter and saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and served them. This is an amazing story. It's filled with incredible details. Like, when I was reading the story this past week, I couldn't help but think more about the fact that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now, 
if you've been part of the church for a while, you know who Peter is. You know that Peter is one of Jesus' closest followers, as well as one of Jesus' best friends. But not everybody realizes that Peter has a mother-in-law. And if Peter has a mother-in-law, that also means that Peter has a wife. And I'm not going to be wondering, how did Peter's wife feel about him quitting his job as a fisherman so that he could go follow Jesus around this area called Galilee? I was chasing rabbits. That's what happens when you read the Bible sometimes. But the story is filled with incredible details. But all of these details are just smaller dots in the bigger picture of who Jesus is. So what is it that these three miracle stories, the story of Jesus healing this man with a skin disease and healing this soldier's servant and healing Peter's mother-in-law, what is it that these stories are trying to tell us about who Jesus is? Is. Well, the easy and obvious answer to that question is that they're trying to tell us that Jesus is a miracle worker. That Jesus is a miracle worker. But I can also tell you that the Gospels are filled with other stories about Jesus performing miracles. So we still have to wonder why it is that Matthew decided to group these three different stories together. And this is where we need to stop focusing in on the small little details of each one of these stories and take a step back so we can see the bigger picture of who Jesus is. And to take in that bigger picture of who Jesus is, we need to spend a little bit more time talking about who the people were that Jesus heals in these stories. So who does Jesus heal in these stories? First story, he heals a man who has skin disease. The second story, he heals a Roman centurion's servant. And the last story, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And on the surface level, those three different people, they may not seem to have a whole lot in common. So why does Matthew tell their stories together? Let's dig a little bit deeper. All right, so the first person that Jesus heals is somebody who has a skin disease. Now, if you have a skin disease and you were living in ancient Israel in the first century in Jesus' time, you would have been cut off from your entire community. But you weren't cut off from your community because they were afraid that you were contagious and they were going to catch whatever skin disease it is that you had. No, you were cut off from your community because they believed that you were being punished by God with this disease that you had. And you were being cut off by God from this, and that meant that you were unholy, that you were unclean, that you were unworthy to be in God's presence, unworthy of God's love. So they cut you off to make sure that they wouldn't catch that disease and become unclean and unworthy of God's love as well. In the second story, Jesus heals a Roman centurion's servant. And to fully understand that, we need to pay attention to both parts of that description. The Roman soldier, centurion side of it, and the servant side of it. So what do we know about the Roman soldier? Well, this is obvious, but we know that he's a Roman soldier, right? And what do we know about Rome in those days? Well, Jesus' time, Rome is Israel's biggest enemy. So no one in all of Israel ever would have imagined helping a Roman soldier, because this is outside armies that have come and invaded and are holding them captives, essentially. So hearing that Jesus is willing to help this Roman soldier is a little bit like hearing that Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy are going to work together to pass some legislation in the House of Representatives, or that Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are going to work together in the Senate. It doesn't make sense to us. It's so outside of the norm. So people in Israel, they would have looked 
looked at this Roman soldier, they would have seen him as an enemy, somebody that was unworthy of God's love. Now, the second part of that description is that he heals this person's servant. And when you hear the word servant, it may make you think of like a butler or a maid or something along those lines. But the reality is the servant was really a slave. And slaves have always been the lowest rung of the social ladder in any society around. So the slave would have been seen as someone who was unworthy of God's love because of their position in society. Now, in the final story, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And no, I'm not going to tell you that God doesn't love mothers-in-law, because I have one and I like her. Right? She might even listen to the sermon, who knows. But there's some fabulous mothers-in-law out there. But, but there's something that you also have to understand and appreciate about Peter's mother-in-law. And that's the fact that, again, this is shocking. She's a woman. Peter's mother-in-law is a woman. And in ancient Israel, women were second-class citizens in medicine. There were parts of the temple that they were forbidden to go into that men were able to access. And it's because it was believed that God favored men over women. So the simple fact that she is a woman, that Peter's mother-in-law is a woman, means that she was less than a man. Somebody who was less worthy of God's love than Peter or other men. So time and time again, through these stories, we see that Jesus is healing people. The world around him deemed to be unworthy of God's love. When Jesus heals this man with the skin disease, the Roman soldier servant, Peter's mother, Jesus is showing us how God really feels about us. And even though there were plenty of people in Israel who thought that God loved them more than God would have loved somebody who had the disease, or somebody who was part of the enemy, or somebody who was of a different gender, Jesus shows us that that is not the case. Instead, Jesus shows us that God loves us all. In these stories, Jesus shows us that God loves us all. Now, I personally like the way that John Pavlik who is an author, a blogger, and a pastor from North Carolina, uh, puts it in a book that he wrote that's called If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, which is a great title for a book and it's well worth reading. But in his book, this is what Pavlovitz writes. He says, when you meet another person, whoever that person is, you are coming face to face with a once in history, never to be repeated reflection of the image of God. This is true of the next person that you meet, hundreds that you cast in traffic or that you navigate around the grocery store or that you spar with on social media. If God is God, there's no other option. All of these people are made of God's stuff. No matter how bitter or cruel or petty they might be or how unlikable you may find them or how difficult it is for them for you to like them at all. Every day, you encounter thousands of breathing, animated thumbnails now, this shouldn't come as news to you. It shouldn't come as news to you that you are a once in history, never to be repeated reflection of the image of God. It shouldn't be news to you how God feels about you. It shouldn't be news to you that God loves you. But the problem that we have is that we forget that this is the way that God feels about Everyone, we forget that everyone, everyone 
is a once-in-history-never-to-be-repeated reflection of the image of God. We forget that God loves loved by God, we don't do a very good job of loving other people. Because we forget that every person is loved by God, we don't do a very good job of loving other people. I mean, we see that play out in Matthew chapter 8 when we're thinking about all of these people that Jesus helps. But in this, we see how the people of Israel really felt about them. We see that the people of Israel struggled to love someone because they had a disease. We see that the people of Israel struggled to love someone because he was considered to be an enemy. We see that the people of Israel struggled to love someone because they were lower down the social ladder. We see the people of Israel time and time again struggle to love people. But Jesus, that God doesn't have any problem loving. that God loves that you struggle to love? Let me ask that again. Who are the people that God loves that you struggle to love? Do you struggle to love that neighbor who's still shooting off fireworks in the middle of the night even though New Year's Eve was more than two weeks ago? Do you struggle to love that person who cut you off when you were driving over to church today? I had that happen to me. I wasn't very loving when it happened today. Do you struggle to love somebody because of who they voted for during the last election? Or do you struggle to love somebody because of what sports team they cheer for? Or do you struggle to love a family member because they hurt you in the past? Or do you struggle to love someone you once called a friend because they stabbed you in the back? Who does God love that you struggle? what it means to be like Jesus. If you want to be more like Jesus, then you have to love the people that Jesus loves. And I want to let you in on something right now. Jesus doesn't just love people like you and like me. Jesus doesn't just love people who live in the same neighborhoods that we live in. Jesus doesn't just love people who work for the same companies that we work for. Jesus doesn't just love people who go to the same church that we go to. Jesus doesn't just love people who vote for the same candidates or cheer for the same sports teams that we do. Jesus doesn't just love people who read the same books or watch the same TV shows or eat in the same restaurants that we do. You will never meet a person that Jesus doesn't love every bit as much as he loves you. Period. You will never meet another person Jesus doesn't love as much as he loves you. That's why I, why I like that quote that I shared earlier from John Pavlik. It's what he says. Jesus loves those bitter, cruel, and petty people that we find incredibly unlikable. Jesus still loves them. They're still a once in history, never to be repeated reflection of the image of God. So if we are going to become more like Jesus, spend some time thinking about those people that we struggle to love. And we have to try to see them through the same eyes that Jesus sees us all through. 
Because if we're going to be more like Jesus, then we have to love the people that Jesus loves. And there is no one that Jesus doesn't love. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, every single one of us should feel challenged and convicted. Because God, you know that every single one of us have people that we struggle to love. It may be a neighbor. It may be another driver on the road. It may be somebody that we have to deal with when we're shopping at the grocery store. Somebody we bump into at a restaurant. It could be people that we just have differences of opinion with. So many levels. God, you know every one of us has people that we struggle to love. But God, there's no one that you don't love. Every single person is once in history, never to be repeated reflection of you, God. So help us to see everyone we meet through your eyes. Help us to love others the way that you love us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you about how God feels, not just about you, but about everyone. Remember that you are a child of God, that you are loved by God, and so is everyone that you meet. So let's do a better job of loving each other. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of our sermon podcast, but I want to invite you to come back and join us when our next episode drops next week. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app, or you can come and worship with us every Sunday morning. We worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.